0: Continue to move along in the book of Galatians. You remember, we addressed already the first part of the first chapter where Paul was amazed at the church at Galatia and the members therein had so quickly departed from the gospel he had shared with them. And the way in which they had departed from that gospel was that they had been insisting upon keeping the old things of the Judaism, Judaism customs so that they might continue to be Followers of Christ, but also followers of the Judaic covenants, the law. It's in those places where Paul realized something and was really the first one to realize it are the Christian leaders. He realized that if you put anything else to go with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, if you make anything necessary other than receiving in faith the grace that God has offered you, then you do great harm to the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. And so he spoke strong words to them. Now, you can imagine that they responded to those strong words in different ways. You know how that goes, right? And here we see in these verses, in verses 11 through 24, passages, quite frankly, that I wanted to ignore. I didn't really want to preach this passage of Scripture. I don't particularly like it. It's a little bit of a strange thing to say, right? But it is true even though we'd have been at an annual conference all week where we were talking about witness, and even though this was a passage about a witness of Paul, I just didn't want to preach it because it didn't put Paul in the best of all lights, especially on the surface, especially if you look at it a particular way. He basically says, I know you've been taught a lot of other things by some other people, and they're all wrong, and I'm right. And the reason I'm right is because I didn't get my information, not even from Jesus or from the friends of the flesh, but rather I got all I know directly from Jesus Christ resurrected. Now, if somebody walked up to you today and said, I know your Bible, you love that Bible and you love that book, but Jesus Christ told me, what would you think? Nutcase, <laughs> nutcase, pills, medication for this person. They've been talking to Jesus, and they're not only they've been talking to Jesus, but Jesus is giving them new rules that they want to replace the rules of the of the scriptures. You would get excited about that. So I didn't really like this passage of Scripture because if you're not careful, in one particular commentary I was reading, this writer was talking about, well, how bad this was. There's a lot of danger in this passage of Scripture. Well, the minute that writer wrote that, I thought, wait a minute now, Doug. This is Scripture. So I read the whole part that this author had to write about this book, and I read it again, and I've read it a couple of times since. And quite frankly, they got a problem Uh, that's not really what's going on here at all. But as is often the case, people start interpreting, and they don't always use the full context of the writings for the situation. Paul's not trying to be dogmatic. He's not trying to be self-righteous. He's not trying to be egotistical. He's not trying to be intolerant of those he disagreed with. In fact, he was on very good terms, except for this one point, with the other leaders in the Jerusalem church. He is not trying to set himself against the leaders of the, of the church and those following Jesus. But he knew that these Gentiles were being pushed and beginning to follow something that was not what Jesus intended. And he happened to be the one who was called to be the first one to know that. Now, the other disciples who had been following Jesus had the examples of Christ before them. But they still thought of Christianity as being a part of Judaism. They couldn't quite make that switch yet. They were trying to. They were sincere. But they still wanted to keep the practices of Judaism alive. It was such a tradition. It was such a part of their culture that they could hardly stand to just break completely to accept a gospel of grace and grace alone through faith. It's not what they wanted to do. And Paul recognized what was going on. He knew that things were at stake in this passage in this time of the Galatian church, because it was a church filled with Gentiles, not with Jews, but Gentiles. He knew that the gospel was for the world, not just for those who were Jews. And because of that, he knew that he needed to face, face it directly with strong words to call them back to what he was, he was trying to deliver to them as the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are three big reasons for that. First of all, Paul understood that in this Judaizing faction, the priority of grace was at stake. They were essentially trying to change the gospel that Jesus came to teach. They were saying that, yes, it's good to find grace in Jesus Christ as a gift, but you still need to do all these rules and follow these laws and be a good Jew, and that way you'll be a good Christian Jew. And Paul understood that that's not what Jesus wanted at all. Because you see, before Jesus came, religions inherently wanted something different than what Jesus brought, and it's still the same today. And we Methodists get right up against this problem in our theology. So I'm just going to admit it right now. So if I got a few closet Calvinists out there, tune in. You'll like this. First of all, the priority of grace has to be first, second, and third because It is grace that finds us, not we that find God. All throughout the scriptures, God is the one who is in pursuit. He is the initiator of salvation. Did Abraham wake wake up one morning and go, or Abraham wake up, I think I'll become Abraham and I think I'll lead a great people. No, he didn't. How did he get turned on to this God? God came to him. God is always first. We get so egocentric sometimes even our faith statements that we make it sound like we believe on our own. We have to believe, and we do have to believe, but belief, biblically understood, is an acceptance of the grace that has already been given to you. Because God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you before you ever thought about him before you even had a concept of who God was. God loved you so much that he pursued you. I'm going to give you an example of pursuit. Most of you are, probably all of you, other than a small group who's sitting together are going to go and get this illustration. You think it's tough when you had two two-year-olds or a two-year-old and a four-year-old? You thought that was tough, right? Yeah? Well, how would you like to have four two-year-olds? Now, if you sit down and wait for those four kids to get it all right, what are you going to do? You're going to be waiting forever, right? You got to be chasing them. No wonder Amber's in such good shape, right? I mean, she, I'm surprised she does not eat constantly because she's chasing four children. And Mike, when he comes home, he doesn't come in and sit down and say, "Oh, it's good to be home. Is our child okay?" He goes, "Where's the troop?" Because everything is multiplied. I can't. I don't even know how you survive that. You survive it? She said, "With a village." with mothers and fathers who come to help you mother and father your own children, but you do it by pursuing them all. My first startling insight into that was with some of the Collins twins from another city, from another church in Frisco. One young lady married into the Collins family, and she had twins, first children, twins. She had two twins that were long and skinny after they got out of the ICU, grew a little bit, and they loved to climb, They were like spider monkeys, and they were constantly going in different directions and climbing everything, and I sat down at the hospital one day, and I know she lost 10 pounds in an hour running all over, chasing those two children because another Collins was having their children, and she had to be there with the children. Bad idea. Bad idea. And I was thinking to myself, twins. Oh, bad idea. Bad idea. But there's a lot of great people who were twins, right? And so when I heard a lady came to church, and there was somebody in church in the nursery that had quads, I went, what? And so every time I see them in church, I think and I pray for them. I pray for their neighbors. I pray for their mom and their dad. I pray for their grandparents because they have a job to do, and they're gonna pursue it if it's gonna work, not wait for it to come to them. God pursues us. In Wesleyan language, that's called prevenient grace. The reason faith is not a work Is because God gives us the grace to ever have faith. Without grace as a gift from God and a wooing of the Holy Spirit, nobody would believe. Nobody would respond. Every human being is constantly wooed and pursued by God and the Holy Spirit. You think about that. Think about the Spirit of God searching every heart, every mind, constantly pursuing them to bring them to salvation. And then works can fly away and get in their proper respect place in our lives works are a result of what we've already seen I tell that sometimes to new Christians especially men none of these men I'm sure here but they get a a light goes on they say you mean I'm already saved by grace and I can't do anything to earn it I said that's right so it doesn't matter what I do I said no I didn't say that (laughs) after you receive the grace of God it matters what you do but it's still not responsible for your faith it's not. Your faith is a gift of grace from God. And when you accept it, you respond out of the love you have for the one who saved you. If you're responding in any other way, you're becoming religious. And you know what religion does? It kills souls, it elevates people to thinking they're better than other people. It causes people who gather in churches to think somehow we're superior to those that are not in here but who are out there. We even look down upon them sometimes, don't we? Driving down the street on your way to church on Sunday morning, look at that neighbor out there mowing that yard. Doesn't he know I got children in the car and they're taught, being taught to go to church on Sunday morning? Works, works. Works are fun. Committee meetings are fun. All right, I'm lying now. (laughs) But with grace comes forgiveness. Committee meetings can be fun, and they can be empowering when things are going on for God. Paul knew he had to protect the priority of grace at the young part and starting point of this church, and he needed to do it directly. Secondly, he knew, as he shared in his story, that he had been called for a purpose. Wow. Isn't Paul lucky I mean, he got the blinding light. He got to be blind for two or three days, and then it all cleared up, and he got it. Wow, we all want the blinding light and the flash of lightning, right? I mean, we all want to see that miraculous thing happen so we know we are who we are and what we're going to do. It doesn't always come that way to all of us, but, but like Paul, every one of us is also called for a purpose if we have received the grace given in Jesus Christ's name. It's not just preachers and teachers and Sunday school leaders and board chairmen and committee members. It is every walking breathing Christian who's been called to share in the exact same purpose. And that is to take the grace that we have received and use it to reveal Jesus Christ so that the lost can see Christ. So that the lost can see love. So that the lost can be experiencing what we're enjoying. We're not saved because we're special or because we're good. We're not saved so we can come together and huddle together in little buildings and call ourselves special. We're saved so we can get together, organize, and get out of the building and go save people who are lost. That is the gospel. Because you see, the church loves to be the church inside the doors. But that is not our purpose. He was called to bring the message to the Gentiles, the people who didn't even know what it meant to be a Jew. Much less to be a Christian who was also Jewish, he was called to bring them to God. You know, even the way we talk about church, we get confused so often. What does every church want today? Every church wants to have a mission statement, right? And we're going to have one before long. We're going to roll out to you. A mission statement is good. Every church needs a mission statement. But behind every behind every mission statement needs to be the biblical concept of mission. And here it is so you won't get confused, all right? It is not that the church has a mission. It is that the God of mission has a church. Did you get the difference? It's not even subtle, is it? we love to take credit for what we're doing. I read an illustration about it in one book I wasn't going to say it but it's just so fresh in my mind it's so good who wrote who's got who wrote the purpose-driven life purpose-driven life yeah who is it yeah Rick Warren he wrote this book and on the very first page he says the gospel is not about you and then he writes about 350 pages making the gospel very center self-centered and about what you're doing in your church you say well oh, he didn't did he I think he did In fact, it was so stark to him that after about 10 years, he sat up one day and went, wait a minute. We got this thing wrong. We're not just about getting most of us here. We're about the mission. We need to be doing mission work. Duh. Some of us have been saying that for 22,000 years. Right? Not me. I'm not that old. But the reality is that we don't want to get it mixed up because we start taking credit for it. The church starts being the emphasis instead of Christ right now we're working on how to help our church grow well it's simple share your stories about how God has made a difference through grace in your life with people who are not saved and they'll ask you where you learned that and you can say well at the church where I go is here but there are many churches you can choose from because it doesn't matter if you witness to someone and they come to this church or if they go to another church what matters is are the lost being found That's what Jesus called us together to do. I know it's important to train our children because the process of learning about God goes on and on and it takes a generation. But when the church becomes so self-absorbed with only inner strength, what happens to the church historically and continually and it's happening in our nation now is the church begins to dwindle and dwindle and dwindle because suddenly and ever so gradually the emphasis became more and more upon themselves and not upon the people outside who do not believe. Look at Europe. Now look at our country. If we do the same things they've done in other nations, it will turn out just that way for us. We're no different. We're no different than any of the other nations who had got at the center of their lives when they had a great drive and energy to share the love that they had received with others. But once the love becomes ours to hold on to and not tell anybody else about it, the church stalls out. Indeed, the church dies. That was spoken to us over and over again this year, this year at annual conference as the theme of the conference was witness. It's a very important theme and one we must had already centered on for ourselves. Faith is not centered on ourselves. But on the lost of the world. It's not important that my, well, that's that's wrong. Okay, back up. Put the button. It's important that I grow in faith. But I'm going to heaven. That's done. But I have three grandchildren, one on the way. They are more important in what they receive than anything else that I'm going to get in this world in my rest of my life, because I know where I'm going. They have to have a church that's taking care of what they need to grow. It's more important to some kid folks I have who are not in church any longer, because they become that out generation, that they come to exercise the faith that they claim they have so it becomes a living faith once again. That's much more important than me getting something I want out of church. People come to your church, they bring their children, and if their children are not loved in ways that are meaningful for them, if their youth can't look across the way and say, you know, someday I'm going to be old enough to be in that youth group. If they can't see that in a church, the smart families are going to know they're going to bring it or they're going to go somewhere where they can find it. It's the same thing on a smaller scale for older adults. If older adults come to church and all you're doing is practicing the faith you got 35 years ago, I could do a test now. I'm thinking about it. How much time do I have? I need to get through. But let's do a test anyway. All you ladies who have been married more than 10 years, don't tell your husbands I ask you this question. Do they pursue you as much as they did the year before you got married? Are you on their minds as much then as you were now? And right now, the men are saying, I'm not coming back here. (laughs) Don't worry, guys. If I ask you the same question about your ladies, you get the same answer, right? We take it for granted. And we shut down what God's trying to do with us. And I'm going to give you a closing illustration that is the point I'm moving toward in this sermon. Is that we need to move toward practicing being a biblical Christian again? And you say, well, I already am one. Okay, you're a biblical Christian. Many of you are retired. How many times last week did you tell someone a story of your faith and what God had meant to you in your life? How many times? How many times have you told somebody about Jesus in the last month that was not directly related to you? How many times have you gone to school and shared faith with a friend before school was out? How many times have you invited your friends to come to this church with you or to some church or just to talk to them about their faith? How many times has the gospel been so important to us that we couldn't wait to tell the story we were just watching because it was happening in somebody else's life or was happening in my life. How many stories do you have, grandparents, grandparent agents, of faith in your life that are recent? How has God transformed you recently? Now, Beverly is going through a trying time. She's given her husband to the Lord. Ray was 90 years old, almost 91 they lived a beautiful life together, and she's experiencing now what will become a story for her in the rest of her life, to share what Ray meant to her as her husband of all those years with her friends, with her neighbors, with her loved ones, and to tell how God comforted her when she had lost the most important person in her world. Everything going on in your life is a story. But if you don't see God in it and don't share it with somebody else, they look at you and they think you're just like they are because you don't ever speak about Jesus. You don't ever bring the faith that you have inside you out of you so you can tell them why you are the way you are. And they're not going to get it by osmosis because they're not in the church for somebody to teach them. They're out there, out there. I'm reminded of a war movie that I watched. And i remember reminded he was a bad commander. And he was talking to the troops. I don't know why they ever obeyed him. But he wanted them to charge the hill. And out there was the enemy, the machine gun nest at the top of the ridge. And they were looking at one another. And he said, we got to take that ridge. And they're going, well, we'll be right behind you. All right?" And then he started shouting, out there, out there, out there. And then they begin to chant it, first a few and then the many. And they took the hill. The lost are out there. They're at your grocery store. They're at your pharmacy. They're in your neighborhood. They're in your towns. They're all around you. Every other person you meet is lost, either lost practically or lost completely. They don't know Christ, or they don't haven't in ages practiced the faith they claim to have. They're lost. We have to go. That's why you were saved, not just for your own soul, but so that you could be a part of saving the lives of others. You have beautiful stories. Every one of you are unique. No one of your stories are the same. You claim inside you a lot that God is doing for you. Bring it out. Why did I make that good choice? Well, because I go to church, because God speaks to me and tells me to Live a certain way. Let that story out. Let it out. Please. Because one of you may be the one that tells a story that touches my grandchild or touches my cousin or touches my uncle or my aunt or your parents or the people next door. I don't know what it's going to take, and I don't know if we can do it. You say, what do you mean you don't know if we can do it? Who's done it? Who's done it? Who's the nation that's stronger now than they were than when they were turned on by Christ for the first time? Who? People say, well, the gospel's moving now to Africa. It's moving to China. It's flourishing. That's wonderful. That's great. While half of the people in this country, don't have a living, acting relationship with Jesus Christ. Think how many of them could help us go to China and Africa if we just start with our neighbor, too. We can do both. All we have to do is be willing to tell our stories. Lord God, I thank you for the stories that you give us. I thank you for the breath of life that you breathe into us over and over again. And I pray, God, that we will remember that the work of the church is not mainly about us, although it is about us, but it's mainly about the lost. Build in us a fire and a hunger to share the love that we have received, to share the forgiveness that we have received, to remember the stories of how you have cleansed us and forgiven us, and how humble it makes us feel to tell someone else about how much God loves them. Lord, if there's someone here today who doesn't know you, who doesn't claim you as their Lord, touch their hearts. Give them the strength to come forward that they might know you and we the church might help guide them to you. If there's someone here, Lord, who needs a church home, a place where they can join with others in the calling that is for us all, Lord, we'd love to have them become a part of this family so we can keep reaching out and bringing in other members intended to be a part of this family of Christ. Be with us as we sing, Lord, and let your spirit inspire our hearts. I ask it in Christ's name.